I'm Fathery. This is Dave. This is Brian. And this is Text Trek. Engage. Welcome back aboard the Starship Texas for the 166th installment of the Tex Trek podcast, the home of Star Trek fandom from deep in the heart of Texas, where we take a deep look at Star Trek old and new, and proud members of the Treksphere Network. Today we are discussing Star Trek Discovery Season 4, Episode 2, Anomaly, written by Anne Kofel Saunders and Glenice Mullins, and directed by Olin Tundo... <laughs> Alentundo. Alentunde Osinsanmi. I've been saying his name since 2017. You'd think I'd get it right eventually, but <laughs> sorry, Tunde. That's what his, his friends call him, Tunde, apparently. Uh... That would be more handy. <laughs> but yeah, this episode's called Anomaly. And uh, that I, I actually I like the episode, but before we, we get into it, I just want to say I really dislike the name because First of all, it's like a very boring one word Rick Berman style episode title. You know, I like the more the more dramatic like TOS stuff, like the stuff Discovery was doing in season one. Butcher cares not for the lambs cry, that type of stuff. But uh, yeah, like Anomaly, that's that's boring. But also it's so generic that it was also the name of an Enterprise season three episode. Uh, that's great. So, but but this is the first time they've ever repeated an episode title. You know, they normally would put like the in front of it. I actually think the anomaly would be a little bit more apt. Uh, but but no, like th- they have the exact same name. If that was ever going to happen in Star Trek, where two e- there's one example of two episodes having the exact same name, it probably should be the episode called Anomaly, though. <laughs> is there any chance, as Thomas Hill asks, that there actually is a connection between them? Like, I, I have not watched I that ep- so. Enterprise episode. I, I mean, they it's... did Unification 3, so it's not the <laughs> stupidest question I've ever yeah. heard. I mean, in yeah. that, episode, that episode, they were going into the weird space of the Delphic Expanse where there was, like, strange gravity stuff, you know, throwing stuff on the ceiling of the cargo bay. Archer started floating around really? when he was taking a shower. Yeah, but yeah, I, I still this... don't think they're connected. I still don't think they're hmm. connected. Man, that, that's uh, that, that's a that's a little bit odd, though. <laughs> remember when we all thought Control was connected to the Borg? Sure, sure. I granted. All I'm saying is that I might want to go watch that episode just when, in case. When <laughs> when Leyland Leyland says struggle is pointless, and we were like, "Aha!" He just basically said resistance is futile. Obviously connected to the board, and it turned out none of that was none of that was real. It should have been connected. Yeah, it, it was a reasonable speculation. It's not yeah. like saying this. I think in this episode, boy, Janeway is going to turn into a, a kiwi fruit. You know, I mean, <laughs> she did turn into a salamander once. So, yeah. you know, it's not completely off the table, but still. <laughs> Brandon Braga is listening to us right now. And he's like, damn, I should have thought of that. Kiwi, <laughs> kiwi. 
That would have been so much cheaper to make than it is a giant salamander. <laughs> I mean, the other Star franchise turned their cool Clint Eastwood dude, Boba Fett, into a Kiwi, so. <laughs> I like, I like, I see what you did there. You know, let's talk about, let's talk about a anomaly. I'm just going to quickly recap it by reading the synopsis, and then I'll kind of expand on that with spoilers. But the synopsis reads, Saru returns to help the USS Discovery uncover the mystery of an unusually destructive new force. As Burnham leads the crew, she must also find a way to help Book cope with an unimaginable loss. So yeah, Book is still trying to recover from losing his planet and his family to the gravitational anomaly. And to investigate it, uh, he must actually fly into the anomaly with a holographic Stamets by his side to uh, scan the thing. And, you know, he's still struggling with a lot of these uh, these issues and uh, he's able to get through it, though. And then it turns out that all that uh, all that information is not going to be as helpful as uh, as they hoped. And there's this dangerous anomaly roaming through the stars. But, yeah, we're just each going to give our opening statement and just say what we think about this uh, in you know very broad terms. And then we'll get into the the nitty gritty details. I'll just go ahead and go first because I don't I don't have a, a ton to say, but. Uh, the show Star Trek Discovery, I think the thing that's always done best is uh, the characters. I think the people who love the show love it because they love Tilly and Stamets and Colber. And, you know, they, they like seeing these people week to week and seeing what they're doing. And so whenever it does lean into the characters and, and does more character focused stuff, I think that's the show leaning into its strengths. When we get that here, there's not a ton that happens, but it's very, very character centric. And I really enjoyed that. Uh, the the look of the show, the show has never looked as good as it does now. The cinematography is uh, even better than it. Than it's, it's always looked expensive, but it just looks even more gorgeous now. I think just the colorful uniforms. I just enjoy there being more color. But uh, Tunde, we'll call him Tunde, like like we're friends with him. But his his directing, he's been very experimental the first three seasons, and now with just these first two episodes of season four, I feel like he's kind of like reined it in and focused on 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 being as effective as possible. It was. It was very like cinematic, very like filmish. Like people, I think, overuse the term cinematic, but like just the way that it, some of the stuff was edited with like book and his, you know, visions that he's having and and, and the iconography of uh, that that haunting image of like the birds falling, stuff like that. It's, you know, kind of like artsy type film type stuff. All that was like very effective. Now that we understand the anomaly is more of a kind of like natural force, kind of just like a, you know, it's like, modern day people dealing with climate change or with like you know some bad monsoons or you know something like that it's like it it, it kind of makes me feel better about it that we're not dealing with this huge like end of the universe type thing like, even though like it's still very big and very dangerous and scary I'm, what i'm hoping that they do going forward is they focus on people's reactions of that and like the politics with the president and you know how different planets are going to deal with it and the idea of like we all have to work together against like this collective danger the the ending of the episode it does kind of make it a, a more heightened threat, but I'm I'm hoping that it's not going to turn out to be some type of big mystery. Everyone keeps talking about like the Star Trek Discovery mystery boxes. I don't want it to be like this, like oh who is in control of the anomaly and like someone is like driving it, someone's like steering it around, or you know something like that is going on, and and it has like some reveal that if it's not like satisfying, it kind of it undercuts the entire season. So I'm hoping that they can avoid that, but. I'm I'm very excited with like these first two episodes of season four and I don't know I was really happy with the first two episodes of season two but either like back then or now is like the most excited I've ever been for the show so I'm I'm really digging it 
Well, that's all I got. Uh, Dave, what about you? You know, it's uh, it's funny. I hadn't. Uh, do, do we know yet that it's there's def it's definitely a natural uh, thing and not going to be revealed as, as some some force behind it? I mean, they 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 sort of say we have no way to predict where it's going, which could mean that it turns out it's being driven around by somebody, and that's why right. everyone's looking. So, uh, and they also say that it doesn't look like it's actually black holes. It just they just thought it was, but now it's looking like maybe not. So I don't know how well defined. I mean, the maybe the effects are kind of well defined, which is always nice. Uh, but I don't know if the cause is all that well defined. Okay, at this point. I was just curious. Um, I, I was, I, I hadn't, I, I thought that was Father. Some, the president of uh, Navarre said that there could be civil unrest and uh, stuff related to this. It could bring back, I think, post-burned fears, and and I thought that was an interesting point, uh, which does speak to a natural disaster concept, at least initially, uh, of of like how we deal with pandemics, hurricanes, things like that. Anyway. But getting to my broader thoughts, uh, I still and, and I guess I'm going to, you know, we're four seasons in, so maybe this is a lost cause. But I still wish this show would lead just a, a little bit more with its head than with its heart. I, I personally would be much more into it if it did that. That said, uh, I really like this episode. Um, uh, they 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 grabbed me by the heartstrings, uh, which was not easy to do because I, I did not like the plot point of was it uh, Qu Quajon? Mm -hmm. Is that is that how you say it? I did not like the the. I thought that was a cheap plot point. You know, kind of like a Kelvin verse style plot point. Uh, you know, we need something big to happen. Blow up a planet. But uh, David uh, again, another pronunciation. Ajala, Ajala. Mm -hmm. uh, I thought he was uh, stunningly great in this episode. He made me believe it. He took what was the hollowness of, of that he, he seemed to embody in it. His how broken and in shock he was, uh, was, was very palpable and, and believable. And he really got me on board at, uh, in a, in a way that the actual plot point did not at all. Uh, and, uh, and then there were a lot of other emotional moments throughout the episode. Like you said, father, there's actually not a ton that happens other than they essentially make their first foray into the, the anomaly. Uh, but I liked just about everything I was seeing. I liked the meeting with the, uh, Starfleet with all the Starfleet people and not just Starfleet, I guess there were representatives of a lot of other, uh, you know, sort of notable factions. I loved seeing Saru back. That was huge for me, uh, seeing him in there and sort of offering up his wisdom and reconnecting with Burnham and Tilly. I liked Stamets and Book not getting along. I, I think that's important to show that the crew can have friction, too. Um, I liked Tilly having to kind of um, to have, have a talk with Culber and, and slowly have him draw out that she wants to talk to him is in what in a format that does sound more like he's moving towards a ship counselor position. Uh, we had, we had noted that in the past and it feels like, I wonder if they might formalize it uh, with this. And of course I liked seeing Adira and gray trying to kind of process their future uh, through uh, the, the choices now, now approaching them. So um uh, I was, uh, I guess I was surfing the, the big emotional waves of this episode with the way the ship was surfing the gravity waves or whatever it was. Uh, I, I, I liked it a lot. Brian, what you got? 
Uh, yeah, I liked it. Uh, I'm, I'm still kind of processing it uh, due to Thanksgiving travel stuff. I literally <laughs> finished watching this like less than an hour ago, so I'm still kind of soaking it. It's fresh on your mind. You should it's know very, every detail. Uh, well, in some ways I do, but uh, the, the bigger picture, this is the broad impressions on what are my broad impressions. Um I, I mean, I'll start out with, I, they seem to put a little extra effort into the techno babble, which I appreciated, uh, and is definitely essential if you're going to try to connect your anomaly to, to, you know, real science and gravity or something in some sort of way. I mean, if it's anomaly that just keeps causing people's dead, uh, dead loved ones to appear as ghosts, well, you can kind of just go nuts with that. But if you're going to have it be gravity, then yeah, it should have some sort of tenuous connection with gravity as we actually know it. Um, I, I really liked the coda at the end, which was kind of just basically dealing with, uh, kind of th th there's the big physical climax and then there's all the emotional climaxes afterwards. Um, and I realized after a moment, this is a next generation, uh, a kind of classic, you know, season four or five or whatever, next generation episode rearranged. In Next Generation, a lot of the episodes, once they realized, got into their groove and figured out what they were good, good at, they, they run into a problem. The meat of the episode is bouncing the problem off of the various characters and seeing how they react and angst about it. And then they resolve the problem with some techno babble and roll and a, a little button at the end, and we roll credits. Here they they put the the resolve the problem in the middle and put all of the kind of angsting about the problem because they resolve the immediate problem is book going to die. Then they put all of the stuff that normally would have been stuck in the middle. Uh, at the end, it's kind of all the same beats, just in a different order. Do you think that's because they've got more time? They're like, oh, we just we ended at the 45 minute mark with the plot stuff like next gen would. But then we've got 10, 15 extra minutes. Let's let's do character fallout. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we can make it have as much pillar filler as we want. <laughs> like if this was the next generation episode, they would arrive and they would launch the shuttle, the ship in and then they would lose contact with the ship or only get intermittent contact or there'd be time dilation so that, you know, there's long waits for the heroes on the ship or something. Well, well, lots, only a few minutes pass for the people on the shuttlecraft. And so you would have a time to do all the angsting and Counselor Troy could run around and help everybody and, and so, or Guinan probably more likely in that era. And then, you know, they, they techno babble the way to get the ship out of it at the end. And they'd also make the anomaly go away because the anomaly only ever lasts one week and start in the next generation arguably that's my main issue with most of discovery's larger plot points is that they'll take what would have been resolved in a in a week in a yeah. classic tng and stretch it out over a season yeah well here because they haven't really resolved it they saved book but the sure. anomaly's still running amok they can have the, they can still do all their character pieces afterwards and yet they're they're still stressed out about the problem but the the long digestion sequence happens after they rescue book as opposed to during the between the book getting into trouble and book being rescued which is how you normally would do it um so yeah but i i liked tng i think that's what tng did best was when they were doing those character pieces um and we just got to see how the problem bounced off of everybody um and i liked it here as fathery said uh 
uh, as you said too, uh, the characters are great and it's great fun to watch them chew on stuff, uh, and, and angst about stuff. And, and, and you got your sad Michael back. You were saying she was too happy <laughs> last week. So I have a quick question. This is just, just real fast. In, in, in Star Trek generations, did the Nexus continue existing? It didn't get destroyed or anything. Yeah. It's still uh, out there. Yeah. Yep. Just wondering. No I reason. did a sequel in my role-playing game. So <laughs> they went back to it. <laughs> uh, I, I just wondered if this was some uh, artifact of the Nexus. Uh, I, I don't I don't really see them doing that. It, uh, doesn't, just it doesn't really seem to have much I know it doesn't behave yeah. like it, yeah. The Nexus didn't... Uh, it, it, gravity did affect it, because yeah. that's that was his whole evil plan. The Nexus was actually but, very reliable. Like, it was it was predictable. You know, like, Soren could, could chart where it would be and, and change the course of it. And this thing right. is supposed to be, like, unpredictable. That's It's, be, it's because Soren messed with it, and now <laughs> it's... A uh, uh, thousand years later, it's gone, it's gone freaky. Mm. Oh, Michael Stepniak in our in our audience is saying the ghost of Bill Shatner chopping wood in the next. It'd be the ghost of <laughs> of Captain Kirk. Bill Shatner still alive, so. But <laughs> he got meta. He got meta. Yeah. Well, um, let's go ahead and get into our episode breakdown. We're gonna go through this thing uh, beat for beat and discuss it. Um, but we start off in the opening. Uh, we we begin with. Book mentally and literally replaying the events leading up to the destruction of Quajon. Uh, Saru returns to Disco to assist Burnham, and Starfleet HQ holds a meeting to discuss the anomaly. It's decided uh, more information that they, they have, the better off they're going to be. So they're going to send Disco up close to actually like collect some data on this thing, and then they can figure out what to do. Uh, but, you know, for me, like this episode, it, it starts off super serious with sad book and then Captain Burnham trying to comfort her partner who we don't really know like his job. I guess he's just kind of like a Starfleet consultant, but, you know, he's yeah. he's he uh, feels like a freelancer for them. But, you know, he's he's, he's the captain's man. They had this position yeah. in the mirror universe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically. <laughs> I felt so sad for Michael Burnham here because. She's trying to comfort him, and and I've seen this before. You know, this is a fairly common reaction to you know tragedy and and loss when people they they get real quiet and kind of zone out, and you know they 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 don't they 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 don't open up to anyone. They kind of close themselves off, and you know for me that's always you know frustrating with people I care about when they do that because I'm the total opposite. I'm very expressive and love to talk about my feelings, and I notice it more with like men than women. But like a lot of men will. We'll get to where like they, yeah they don't want to they don't want to talk about uh, their feelings or what's going on or they tend to be like more private and sometimes maybe mm-hmm. too private and and so like I I felt so bad for not just book but also for Michael for like not being able to get him to to open up here and mm-hmm. both of them are, their performance is so strong. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sonequa Martin Green reminds us why she's the lead of a TV show, and David Ajala demonstrates to us why he needs to be a lead of a show of I don't want to lose him from Star Trek, but I'm saying like he's he's gonna be the leading man in a TV show uh by by the end of this decade. Yeah. No, I no. gather he's been pretty busy. I was looking up uh his his name the other day and uh I saw other stuff he was on. I wasn't paying close attention to it, but it seemed like like on at least one of those shows I was like he might might be the lead on that show. I don't know how Whoa. he's juggling it, but I've only seen him he was Manchester Black on Supergirl. Yeah, no, there was some other show. It wasn't. They mentioned Supergirl, but there was some other show too. Mm. 
anyway, um, you know the um, the se- the line that that got to me in this scene, and that yeah, I uh, I feel like I am closer to book of the pair of them. I feel like I I, I am a person who tries to kind of hold it in. And, and and so I I, I like the representation of it. I, at least it felt real to me. And uh, the thing where he's like, "You should go," and she's like, "Oh no," uh, she's like, I, "I can, I'll make, I'll make time." And he's like, "I need you to go." And he he actually kind of actively tells her he can't yeah. have her around it right was now. Heartbreaking. That was it. Was really brutal. Yeah. Uh, well, and and it, but it, it felt real. He also needs her to go solve this damn anomaly. Because that would make bring some sort of sense to this chaos. You know, why did Quajon get blown up? Well, we don't really have a terribly good answer for that. If she, I goes, don't think that's why he was asking her to leave, uh, though. It sounded like an immediate emotional reaction of, yeah. I can't deal with you trying to comfort me right now or yeah, something. Yeah, he wanted to be alone. I've, I've been in that situation yeah, where like, someone tells you that. But uh, then we cut from that to the reunion of Saru and Michael which I felt like they delivered on the promise initially where they described Burnham and Saru as kind of like a brother-sister pairing. You know, before the show had even premiered, people, writers and producers were talking about that. And they start off as, you know, as kind of like sibling rivals on the Shenjo. Yeah. And and now, like, we've seen them, like, grow to where they are, like, very close and have, like, this bond. And, and it is kind of a fun thing to see them back. Yeah, I think it happened fairly organically uh, with that. You know, there's... We, we've noted, you know, sometimes each season they'll try and sort of push Discovery in one direction or another, and sometimes things don't happen uh, too organically. But, you know, with with some, maybe some weaknesses, that actually felt like it kind of did work out sort of like they said it would. Yeah, I, I, I totally bought it more than I, I thought I would, because my fear was that they would somehow, like, shoehorn Saru into the first officer position and I couldn't imagine them doing that and not, like, undercutting Saru, not having him be like, oh, like, I couldn't handle being captain. I guess I'm better as being first officer. You should be a, a, a higher rank than me, Michael, or something like that. And I was so scared it would be something like that. But the fact that, like, he's kind of here on, like, his own terms or he's like, yeah, I totally could go be captain of my own ship. I just got offered the Sojourner, which there's, like, the, the Sojourner is, like, a name of ships and, like, Expanse and Halo and, like, everything has, like, a USS so- a Sojourner. But anyways. But it was also notably the Mars rover. <laughs> yes. Um, but, but Saru's kind of, like, back on, like, his own terms. He's like, no, like, I'm choosing to be here to help you. Right. It felt like a more thoughtful way of handling what, on you know, the the difficulties of promotion and uh, past Trek stuff where, yes, we obviously get the meta thing is that they don't want characters to leave the show, even though <laughs> they would likely be promoted in a real world setting. And so uh, I thought they found a pretty good balance in here. He's like, yeah, I'm going to accept a promotion for sure, and I'm ready for it. Uh, he's like, but right now I want to be your second set of eyes, yeah. which I like that as a as a little sort of metaphor. It just it it, it seemed simple and 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 thoughtful, and uh, uh, he he brought uh, he brought some warmth uh, with his presence just immediately. And it kind of emphasizes his growth. It doesn't undercut it at all. If anything, it emphasizes. It's like I am so wise that I I understand that you know maybe the most helpful thing I could do for like my friend for someone I care about is to be here by her side and not be in my there- own captain's chair. 
Yeah, I, I had this vague hint. I'm back as the first officer because ship's wise old man is not an actual position that I could find <laughs> in the roster. He did, um, <laughs> although I thought his dialogue was well written in all of those scenes. Uh, I did notice he was dropping like uh, dropping aphorisms and wisdom and stuff uh, at the drop of a hat in this one. And, and I'd, like when he he said something like, "We, uh, you know, if." Uh, grief is, uh, what is it? Uh, if, if loss has taught us anything, it's that each of us must sit with pain in our own way. I thought that was a nice bit of writing, but then he also says something similar to Tilly later, uh, or just like, he seems ready made to, to be that wise father of the ship. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a way to make him important without making him the captain. Yep. He's, he's become our Guinan. He just needs to start serving drinks and, you know, no, Colbert <laughs> is Guinan. And, uh, and uh, yeah. he, uh, you're right though. Um, he, did he, he also did essentially volunteer himself as first officer, right? I mean, yeah. there is like, there's, that's, it has a certain, I'm not going to the, it's, it's, he's not timid anymore. He's, he's going to say like this is a position i would be well suited for the second in command of the ship you know so that, that's pretty aggressive for saru <laughs> the prey species yeah so who was the previous before he walked onto the ship in this episode <laughs> xo we don't some know some dude who's in the lower decks now <laughs> we, we saw we saw reese in the captain's chair in the first episode but i mean like everyone on the ship is a lieutenant commander except for well, I guess like Stamets and Colbert are full commanders, I think, because you can't yeah. see anyone's little Tricom badge. But only captains have like the four pips on the collar. I don't know why they don't do that with yeah. everyone. But Tilly, Tilly's a, a lieutenant, but I think everyone else is like a lieutenant commander or a commander. It could be anybody. So, we're, so we 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 we're, we're, someday years from now they'll release a de a, a deleted scene with Reese in his quarter in their quarters getting all pissed off and upset because they're not the XO anymore. <laughs> Put a whole new spin on things. But you know, we we had two captains on the ship before. That happened in Star Trek the Motion Picture. You had, you know, Decker, I guess. Even though he had like temporary grade redu reduction to commander, I I think he still probably counts as a captain. And and Spock yeah. was the captain and and EXO in Star Trek's five and six. So it's not it's not as weird as you might think it is. And sure. Scotty was a captain as well. Yeah, or rather, weird is normal for Star Trek. Uh, so, <laughs> well, no, in the in the in the real U.S. Navy, that can happen. You can have as as, as in fact, it's kind of weird that Star, this doesn't happen more often in Star Trek. They're like every captain, every commander of a ship is like always like the rank of captain. In in the real life navies, it doesn't always work out like that. By the way, I, I did notice uh, speaking of um, Saru's sort of assertiveness that he's also. Although he's joining them and he's kind of like leaving his role on, uh, is it Kaminar? Yeah. Uh, or like not not being active a active participant right now. He said he was, I think, still on like his village council thing. Yeah, which, he can like uh, phone in votes, I think, or you know whatever yeah. he does. Yeah, he's gonna go drop some wisdom on him when they need it. He's got some wise words to <laughs> he's say. He's got that little pendant that he wears. It reminded me of Worf's Baldric. How like he was yeah. still able to have this cultural thing. I saw it and I immediately thought, ah, he needs to wear that pin so he can remind everyone that he's an alien. <laughs> and so that uh, fan sets or QMX will start uh, selling these oh, little yeah. Kelpian pins. You know, oh, I'm sure God, that's, that's coming even soon. more cynical than my reason. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's neat. <laughs> 
No, it's fine. I mean, if we're going to wear his sash, why can't this guy have his pin? I, I mean, it's it's fine. <laughs> I need I need a village council pin. <laughs> uh, I, I, that village really hung in there, though. I mean, how many centuries? That that village is like it's got staying power. <laughs> I don't know. Is it like is it his village or is it like a village that or maybe the village of the kid he became sort of a. a father too well he refers to it as, as his village he says like my yeah, so, village yeah well maybe they uh you know like 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 brian said maybe they're just that they've got staying power i mean yeah. if you go to most countries there's like villages that are like uh 800 900 years old that's not that uncommon um it's right. kind of uncommon here because we had a genocide of all the native people happy thanksgiving but uh <laughs> in in a lot of a lot of parts of the world it's not that weird i don't think in our live audience, uh, Jill is saying the new uniforms, as in all uniforms, look best on Colber. Uh, but I, speaking of those new uniforms, though, I just love seeing like the more color. And it's not all like silver backgrounds with blue uniform people running around on top of them. I, I, I really like it. It adds a lot. The, the, the colorfulness of Star Trek means a lot to me. I, I agree with you on that. And I was also, my eye was also drawn to the slightly asymmetrical uh, length of them where one side sort of hangs lower at the waist. Um, I still, the only thing I don't like in the design thing is these sort of Eagle like pin on the collars. I don't know if that's on everybody or if that's uh, just a certain rank, but there's something that's just seems a little bit fascist about it. It's, it's just a little too, um, uh, you know, arguably a lot of uniforms evoke kind of fascist looks. Um, so that's, that's just a thing. Overall, I think they, they look really pretty pretty fancy I, I i dig them i have this mental image of them grabbing onto the they're, they're designing the uniform by making some sort of amorphous hologram where they can kind of take the old discovery uniform and keep modding it and adding color and stuff and and they, <laughs> they reach up and straighten out the crooked collar and then the, the bottom of the suit crookeds up and then they straighten out the bottom and the collar goes crooked and i guess and we're gonna have like... to pick one captain <laughs> i actually like a little asymmetry on the uniforms <laughs> Um, yeah, well, to me, that that's a callback to – that was the thing that – I remember as a kid, I was slightly bothered by – I didn't quite understand why, like, the asymmetry of Picard – like, the first next-gen uniforms, uh, they, they were asymmetrical with the design on them, uh, and that now that's, like, completely iconic. Uh, arguably, at least the, the originals were, at least in having the, um, uh, the Starfleet pin – uh, on on a single side and not both yeah. sides, but I really felt like Next Generation sort of pioneered it. I, anyway, I, I will absolutely agree that Colber. Uh, I think I, I commented on this uh, in a in a previous season. That dude is like so fit that uh, they can give him the tight uniforms, and it's always gonna like it, feel, it seems super well tailored to him. <laughs> You could throw a burlap sack on him and he looks sexy. <laughs> That's right. It's just a standard sci-fi gimmick, but the way they visualize books PTSD flashbacks mm. by literally having him playing holograms and rewinding them and playing them again is a wonderful way to use science fiction to show us what's going on inside somebody's head. Uh, so, mm -hmm. um, and again, is it great is an example of what the holodeck was originally supposed to do when Roddenberry stuffed it onto the enterprise D back in the day, you know, was, something else that, that, that those scenes accomplished is, it reminds us that we are in the is it 31st century? 32nd. 
thirty-second century, uh, because they're you know they're handling the controls that are kind of have that um, programmable uh, matter. Hap haptic programmable matter quality uh, thing going on, uh, and I imagine that they will do that fairly often. Just I mean, any chance that they have to use any controls are going to remind you, yes, this is the thirty-second century. Yep. Well, let's talk about this uh, Starfleet HQ. Me, I guess it's Starfleet HQ slash Federation HQ because they kind of like Federation and Starfleet have kind of like combined into like one facility, one organization. But I suppose if no one's going to the academy, it's really just uh, <laughs> sure you get a uniform, you get a uniform. <laughs> the line gets pretty fuzzy when no one's actually going to the academy. <laughs> well, no, like field commissions have been a thing in Star Trek for uh, for a long time. Uh, apparently, like over a hundred years, they've been field commissioning everybody. <laughs> but the working theory that they have is that the anomaly is a pair of black holes, is roaming binary black holes, which are, I guess it may or may not be. We're we're still not a hundred percent sure, but it's five light years across, which is massive. Massive. That's like the distance between our solar system and the next nearest solar system is four light years. So it's like less than. Less than uh, what this anomaly is. The anomaly could take out both Alpha Centauri and the Sol system at the same, at the same time, time. Yeah, it's big enough <laughs> yes. to touch both, which is probably why they they decided on five light years. Uh, we have President Tarina of of uh, the uh, the Vulcans and Romulans. She's definitely going to be a player because she was featured in the flashbacks or the previously on portion. What what do y'all think is going on? Like I thought that like she seemed to be giving good logical Vulcan suggestions. I thought that notion about like civil unrest was probably truthful, but it could be like oh maybe she's going to be an evil Vulcan and maybe she <laughs> wants the civil unrest and that's her 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 plausible deniability move. Um, I I hope not. I was just glad she wasn't an Enterprise uh, Vulcan. <laughs> just comes in and finds a way to make everything worse. So. Yeah yeah no she. <laughs> Seemed, seemed cool, uh, at least yeah. so far. Yeah, she's like, we don't technically have to help you, but we're really smart, and this looks like a problem that could screw us too, so why don't we work together? And I'm all like, yay! <laughs> what, I, what I liked was, was Savru's uh, description of it being like unstable times, and it, it, it felt like kind of relatable to the real world, where like we're trying to recover from the COVID pandemic. It's kind of like, well, this is like the next big crisis after the burn, which let's, I, I mm -hmm. would love for this just to be kind of a, a climate change allegory. I think that would, that, I, I would be much more happy with that, I think, than it being like a nefarious plot. So I'm, I'm still hoping if for that. If they could handle it with some depth then it's not something that they can, uh, that comes down to, we need to fire the thing into the climate change to turn it off at the end. Uh, then, then I, I'm potentially interested. I like the idea of them doing that, but on a show that leads with its heart, I don't know if they're up for it. <laughs> we have reconfigured this nuclear warhead to de defeat climate change. <laughs> oh, we also see the ugliest Ferengi that has ever has ever graced the screen. Uh, I hate it. He had to join Starfleet because the rest of the Ferengi wouldn't have anything to do with it. <laughs> and it's funny, too, as, as, you know, like, arguably all Ferengis are ugly uh, by human uh, standards or whatever. But, uh, but yeah, they, no, they changed this, it this up. This dude and... makes Quark and Brunt and Rom and all of them look like Anson Mount by comparison. <laughs> I, I, I mean, Grand Nagus Zek is nothing to look at. <laughs> Let's be clear. Uh, that's true. I guess, I guess Zek is still a contender for ugliest Ferengi. Yeah. I will say this, the, the thing I noticed about him uh, beyond just like, yeah, I'm not loving the redesign was that 
clearly Ferengi culture probably has come a long way or he's an exception to the rule because he seemed to like he I saw like empathy on his face during all these scenes. He was not that he was not in any way the the stereotypical Ferengi. Was, uh, these could have social repercussions on the, the economy. What about the <laughs> Yeah, that's like the, this is it's the meme where the I I bet he's thinking about other women and he's like I wonder how my stocks are right now. <laughs> so sad. We also have a, a couple of other Starfleet captains and what looks like two human looking guys. I don't know if they're supposed to be from Earth. Or they, they could be from some other planet. But they, they did say that, you know, there were non-Federation members here. And we, we did see Tarina here. So I, that'd be cool if, like, Earth was uh, collaborating with the Federation right now, too. Yeah, yeah. I guess we don't know much about how Earth has been handling things after seeing them uh, in one episode last season. Earth is where the anomaly is going to end up heading before the end of the season. <laughs> Uh, that's very likely. There or somewhere else that we care about. Well, we've already ca- we did Vulcan last time with you know <laughs> blowing that up. So now we we are back to Earth again. I think. In the uh, comments, Thomas Hill suggests the Ferengi might be mixed with uh, some Riemann blood. That's possible. Which, uh... But we also saw a uh, <laughs> a weird looking Ferengi as a cadet last week. We didn't get like a great look, but I'm guessing that if we see any other Ferengis in season four discovery, they're all going to look like that. So it's just their, it's just the new look. Yeah. Yeah. But at least you can tell they're Ferengi. Unlike the season one Klingons. <laughs> <laughs> they they say it was, it hit uh Kwai John and now it's entering the, it's going to enter this other star system. So the anomaly is most def- it, it definitely moving faster than light, uh, right? That that that's that's basic. They even call uh, they they must be. So when they s- for it to be any type of legitimate danger, any type of like scary thing, it's going to have to be moving faster than light, or else it's going to take it forever to hit the next this star will, system. This being discovery, I don't expect them to really pay much lip service at all. To I don't know about that. that. I I I I, t- I I I would disagree with that, Dave, because these two episodes they've of season four they've actually really leaned and like talking like real science stuff more than more than ever before. So I, I think they've actually uh, kind of changed their approach on that type of stuff. I mean, like it's speed and stuff seems like it's like such a basic thing to mention about it. Uh, like if they said it's moving at, at warp speeds, you know, that's uh, that makes it particularly yeah. dangerous. Uh, like that's, that's a very easy thing to mention and weird, not almost not to, yeah. if it's moving that fast. Cause, uh, but, but like Star Trek, I guess has rarely done that. A lot of times it's like, if we need it to get to another system fast to be a threat, it's going to get to the other system fast to be a threat. I mean, they, there's a precedent in Star Trek, the motion picture. They, they make a big deal about V'ger moving at warp seven. Uh, so, you know, there, there's kind of a fairly famous precedent for these sorts of things where you do say, oh, it's got, and, and maybe it's variable because it, that's what I would assume random. if, if the direction is uncertain, I, I think the speed yeah. might be too. The theory that it's two black holes eating each other does not at all explain why it's going faster than the speed of light. Uh, so that, that, yeah. that it does seem like that if they're going to pitch that theory, then somebody should ask, but why is it going faster than the speed of light? And they should go, I don't know. At first I thought, okay, the black hole's just sitting there. And it's sending out these waves that are somehow magically going faster than the speed of light. And they just don't know where the waves are going to hit next. But after paying a little closer attention, I think they're actually saying that the heart of the anomaly is moving around, not just 
it's it's not just spitting on different star systems at the speed of light. It's literally running around and stomping on them. I think it's a, I think it's basically being a scientific MacGuffin right now. It's yeah. um they're they're you know, they're being very they're like, what have we learned about it? It's like, well, we don't know a whole lot about it. What's the data say? Well the data's gonna take some time to process. So right now I think it's gonna be whatever it needs to be for the story purposes and then they'll pin it down a little bit more later uh when they when they're ready to make their big reveals. Uh it's a little frustrating to me, uh, but yeah. I don't know. I'm I'm impressed with how much they're they're taking the time to like put some yeah. scientific realism into the show so what are the bits of scientific realism like you're thinking of father well like there there was a lot last week but then like as far as like this episode goes like when they're approaching the anomaly and they're talking about like red zone yellow zone type stuff and then how like they're dealing with like you know dust cloud layers around the thing and the, the way that they visualize it with that uh, that lensing effect uh just a lot of stuff like that yeah. The the idea that two black holes eating each other could cause gravity ripples, uh, yeah. gravity waves. Or the, the explanation out. that like black holes are only detectable when there's like actual matter that they're affecting, otherwise like we can't see them. It's like like little like details like that. Yeah, it's not super scientific, but compared to Vo- where Voyager Com- compared Voyager, to I would where, say compared to typical where? Star Trek, it's it's yeah. it's definitely on uh, it, be- better Earth. better than most how it's handled most of the time. And that's not just yeah, on Discovery, that's on like all 800 episodes yeah. of Star Trek. And I would certainly say better than Discovery's mean thing. I The reason I bring up the FTL thing is because they kind of seem to have covered most of the other bases sort of with their explanation. And that was the one thing that they didn't cover. And it kind of stuck out to me because they more or less made, I don't have a lot of other questions about this thing besides that one. But <laughs> um, so... Hopefully they will address that particular issue uh, one way or the other. Father, among the images you screen capped is one of Saru putting his hand on Tilly, a small gentle pat on the back or just kind of a comforting thing. And I thought that was a, a very sweet gesture. Yeah, I love that this weird, strange alien hand is like we we as the audience like view it as like something like warm and comforting and not cold and strange. Mm-hmm. The opening title sequence, we didn't have time to talk about it last week. Um, when we we finally get to that after they jump to the anomaly, so I want to point out like some of the changes that they made it was Blue Del Barrio's name is now in the opening title sequence. So I thought that was like really cool. And I don't know how many how many uh, high budget TV shows that are on TV right now have a uh, trans or non-binary cast member in the main cast. So I think that was really cool to see. They added some weird, I don't know if it's like programmable matter unfolding effect or something like that, uh, but they, hmm. they also show like a destroyed planet um, and and some... Thanks, like, just what Book wanted to see. <laughs> some weird black hole <laughs> gravity type stuff. And they've also yep. like replaced all the images of the Discovery with the 32nd century Discovery A refit. Yeah, with, with so, the uh, detached n- nacelles thing. Which I've I've really just liked more and more i really uh this is definitely my preferred version of the discovery i like it i don't know that it's a preferred version for me but i think it's very cool looking and it definitely says uh in a very quick visual way 32nd century oh and and sonequa martin green is a producer in the opening time we mentioned that last week i just wanted to call attention to it again Uh, um dave tell us uh what happens when they arrive at the anomaly 
Right, so the only way to scan the anomaly is to send Book's ship into the belly of the beast. Uh, Michael is unsure if Book is ready to fly such a mission, but he's determined to go, and he is honestly the best pilot for the job. Uh, in sickbay, Adira, Gray, and Culber discuss the plans to create a physical body for Gray. So this is the first time we see uh, Burnham's quarters, like Captain's quarters. She's finally like not rooming with Tilly anymore. So I thought that was <laughs> I thought that was good that they, that they 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 did that. But what I really liked about this is when they're talking about okay, so Detmer is going to take Book's ship into the into the anomaly, and and you know Book is like no, hold on, like I want to do it. But the way he doesn't call her out on the bridge in front of her crew, he's like, can I speak to you in private? captain and right I, I thought that was so cool that he had like that level of respect and that like these it's writers a mod- yeah we know we know he's in a state of shock but it does not break the fact that he has like this uh, th- th- there's a baseline respect that he will will, will show yeah. to his partner and his uh, you know captain and something that discovery normally doesn't do well is typically they go for like the expedience and drama and they wouldn't like the president in the last episode. <laughs> yeah. And and so I like that they 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 chose like the uh, the slower, less exciting option in, in this mm-hmm. case. If it was the Kelvin universe, they would have gotten to a fight on the bridge. <laughs> well, there's some other stuff in this episode that I'm going to say it's more like that smart Kelvin that we were talking about. Like doing <laughs> yeah. doing the things the Kelvin universe wanted to do, but like doing them a lot better and a lot smarter. But I love I love Burnham's quarters. There's a lot of red it looks in dope. there. Yeah, it kind of matches yeah, looks, her red looks... uniform. It looks it looks comfortable and uh, and chill. Like I actually look like I, I feel like I could relax in this place. <laughs> but you know, the yeah. book book basically says you can throw me in the brig or shoot me out of the sky, but I'm gonna be the one flying the ship. If she locks him in the brig, he will not be flying the ship. That was my thought. <laughs> He's all like, if you you can throw me in the brig if you want, but I'll still be flying that ship. Up. No, you'll be in the brig. <laughs> When I get back, you'll lock me in the brig. Is that like the implication? Anyway, I don't, it's not a big deal. He's under a lot of stress. He's not all of his sentences necessarily have to parse. <laughs> the the Adira and Gray stuff really stood out to me in this episode for a, a few reasons. Uh, they did a lot of stuff here that I liked, but but one was just like the I guess level of trans representation that I was just mentioning, which I I'm not at all like qualified to to talk about this, but I, I I like that they address that. Okay, Gray is a trans boy character because they they mm-hmm. they do mention that he did have a transition, and the way that they kind of uh, compare that to like him getting this this new body and being able to you know remove the mole and you know customize things like that are yeah. are kind of like artificial and you should be able to change them. Yeah, it's kind of one of those. Th- it's a simple analogy that, but it's a kind of way that Star Trek has always been kind of forward thinking on things. Is like, hey, people may not have wrapped their head around this concept, uh, or or uh, like a lot of people may not have, and so let's let's show them a, at least one simple way to help them help them do it. And I think uh, that's Gray is going to be how that, that one of the ways that happens. I, I, I honestly was happy to hear them address uh, through that. Yeah, the, uh, yes. the Picard stuff. Yes. So uh, we, we all three like season one of Picard, I, I think, right? Yeah. That's fair to say. But yeah. the two things that bothered me in it, one of them was the, the, oh, they just have like this cure for death. That like, yeah, yeah, you're going to die, but we'll just stick you in a robot body. Like, you, you should probably explain that a little bit better. So I like that Discovery season four is fixing one of the few things 
that really bugged me in Picard season one. And it's also kind of neat to see the shows acknowledge each other just just that yeah. way. Um, have have they done that in in any other cases? Well, the, the co-op Malot were in season three. Oh yeah, were pretty that's, big that's, Picard that's a good thing. point. Discovery has acknowledged Lower Decks, and Lower Decks has acknowledged both Picard and Discovery. I guess yeah, they're they're building a physical body. So the the symbiote is going to stay inside Adira, or are they? It's going to stay symbiote? in Adira because Gray said I could become a, a host again. It sounded like to like a different okay. trill. Or okay. study to be a guardian, which I guess is what he wants to do. You know, the the, the oh. dudes who, who hang out in the caves. Yeah. And they mentioned guardians. Is that what those are? Yeah. Okay. Okay. I was I couldn't quite remember what guardians were in this context. Yeah. And they were established um, back on DS Nine when when Jadzia had to go visit the yep. Trill home world. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And go into so, the milk bath. Um. So is the symbiote inside Adira going to be remotely controlling the body the same way Stamets can remotely control that hologram later in the same episode uh, with a little gadget? You know, you stick a little gadget on the worm and it can remotely well, they, drive the body They mentioned like transferring, transfer consciousness. So I think that, right. I think the same technology that, uh, that Soong Jr. used to pull Picard's consciousness out of his dying body and put it in the new... 3d printed fresh body they'll just do that with the the trail slug and so no what i want to know is will gray still have like all the memories of like the past all the 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 past hosts or will do those stay with the deer i'd be like they both get a copy yeah. of those memories i don't and know if they're just making a copy of of uh gray's memories uh, from the symbiote and and attaching them to this constructed body does that mean that the head gray doesn't actually go away? Because, you know, oh. okay, there's a they, copy of me walking around. They got to control there, X I'm... instead of control C. They're going to, they're going to control X. <laughs> All right. So they're literally going to go in and destroy some of the synapses inside the symbiote. And it doesn't that like violate all sorts of trail taboos. The whole point is the symbiote's supposed to get more experienced. If you steal experience from the symbiote, that sounds like, like just about the, you know, that's like pissing on the cross or something for the trail. Got it for the trails, right? We're going to take a symbiote and make it less experienced for no good reason. It's not like it's traumatic memories. That seems like a great storyline to explore in the future. Like how do they react? And also how is 32nd century trill different perhaps than they used to be. Yeah. Um, and then I, I, I had this thought where I thought I knew what Nadira was thinking, but then later on we have that co extended coda at the end and she kind of talks about different stuff. So they I'm kind not of. sure. Maybe what I was thinking Adira was thinking is, Oh, look, I kind of got used to liking the fact that you were part of me and now you're not going to be part of me and you're going to go off and do other things and I'm going to go back to being alone and I don't know if I'm ready to, you know, I, am I going to be comfortable giving that up? Am I going to be comfortable to going back to, you know, being in a room with nobody else with me, which at the moment she never is. She always has some... Uh, I suspect that will be addressed, and it was hinted at because um, Adira had some concerns in the previous episode, just in, in the sense that Gray was so accomplished and, uh, you know, that fear of being overshadowed. So I, I feel like it's almost certainly on the writer's mind, some of those questions. Given right. that, well, I don't know, probably shouldn't say this. Um, never mind, we'll just move on. Something you know about the future father <laughs> no, you're no, no, casting? No, 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 no. 
I was just going to say, like, normally, like, most people would agree that, like, sex is better with two people instead of just one. So it might work out better for everyone involved. Yeah. Although, who knows what it's like to have somebody floating around in your head. <laughs> yeah, but I, I can see how they'd be. It's possible. I don't know. She just looked like suddenly they Adira was waking up to the uh, – Adira was suddenly waking up to the idea that – I, I'm I'm gonna lose her. I'm not gonna be attached to her anymore. We're gonna be two attached independent to him. entities. Him, sorry, <laughs> apologies. Um, anyway, I just that's what I thought was on Adira's face, uh, but maybe it wasn't because then later when Adira explains things, it didn't quite seem to be that. Brian, uh, tell us uh, what their their plan is with the ship going into the anomaly to collect the data. Hollow Stamets will be sent with Book to perform the scientific duties, and Book's ship will remain tethered to Disco. Stamets is worried about knowing what to say to Book, but gets some advice from Culber. So we also have Saru giving some advice to Michael when uh, he walks into her holodeck program which happens in star trek all the time so there's a another tradition honored when he just steps onto her uh and another like uh another uh some more images of vulcan to use on uh memory alpha yeah. and any other well, navarre. Uh, any other pages it's navarre now yeah that's right and they don't have any vasquez rock thing going on in the background we see that vulcan has other types of rock this special Outrageous. effect the special effect really impressed me the use of the ar wall because we see the camera pan all the way behind michael when saru enters and then it turns all the way again you know going like 180 degrees to see the same view as her and the way that the lighting on the actors change because the lighting on that ar wall changes and so they're they're lit differently and then like we see like the the silhouette version when the camera's like capturing the brightness of the sun and and it it silhouettes the the backs of the actors the part where saru first steps through the door just like a little green screeny but then i thought oh well that part was probably actually a green screen because that's the opposite side of the the ar wall and the ar wall i don't think goes all the way around and 360 degree circle because they have to get like you know cameras and stuff in there but it, it did look really really impressive the only thing that bugged me was that when they end the program and go back to michael's quarters they kind of cheat where it's just like a, a a flash of light and then you can tell like they're not standing exactly like where they were a second ago but uh overall very very impressive to see on a on a tv show it's uh movie level type stuff I miss the the holodeck grid on the wall. <laughs> well, they, you don't have to go to like a different room to be on the holodeck. Like you could you can set up your quarters to be your holodeck. Thirty second century man. Yeah, it's, no, I'm sure it's great. I just miss it. <laughs> Th this room might actually just be holodeck uh, quarters, uh, captain's quarters number three five, uh, two three B or something, and she can flip a button and it's a completely different quarters if she wants. <laughs> Probably and with programmable matter the cool thing here is that you know saru's not just telling her you know like oh well you know you, do you need to trust buck this is this something that he really needs to do like blah 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 whatever but he actually like gives like a solution to like make things a little better when he says like we can tether the ship that'll be safer and also like instead of putting both of the spore drive guys on the ship and risk losing both of them we'll just send a hollow stamets i guess they still needed like one physical person on the ship in case they completely like lost contact otherwise you could just put holograms of both of them right no one's in danger so i guess they they they, they did need at least one because that's to kind of make mm -hmm. the bandwidth sound like an issue when he he can't transfer the data back it's all on the ship uh but i thought that was uh, again another cool yeah. use of 32nd century technology from the programmable matter tether 
to the the neural link to the the hologram in fact you can just mm-hmm. beam yourself into places as a hologram like yeah that sounds like if you go further advanced in the star trek timeline that's the type of stuff you'd have and you have full tactile sensations of your holo- holographic body yeah. right yeah he says it feels real yeah, yeah, yeah. he was right. surprised how how real it felt but yeah, yeah. J- jumping back briefly to Saru's suggestion, I like that he's not all just like, you know, like fortune cookie stuff or something like that, that he has pra- – this is a practical suggestion yeah. and immediately establishes kind of his his use to Burnham. Uh, I, I really like yeah, that. Yeah, and that's when she says like, I'm really glad to have you back. And it's like, yeah, that was, <laughs> that was a great moment to really, you know, pin the tail on the donkey of how cool it is to have Saru back. Pin the tail mm-hmm. on the Kelpian or whatever. Yeah, Michael and the gang come up with crazy, insane, dangerous solutions, and then Saru comes along and tries and finds, <laughs> finds a way to make them safe, so that you know, or at least safer. <laughs> Fathery, they pin the they pin the threat ganglia on the donkey. Okay, pin the threat ganglia on the Kelpian. <laughs> and then there's more cool character stuff with uh, Stamets and Burnham. I like that they acknowledge like Stamets was really pissy with Burnham at the end of season three when she like wouldn't let him go rescue his family when she right. took him out the airlock. Yeah, but but they set up like oh yeah Stamets feel kind of feels indebted to Book. We think that he's jealous someone else can use the spore drive, but no, it's like he he kind of felt indebted to him, and then he's like I have no idea what to say to this dude. His whole planet just got blown up. And I thought Colbert gives good advice. You know what did you think when I was dead and. And Stamets says, you know, that's not the same. I lost one person. He lost every person. But Colbert says, you know, well, grief is grief. And just follow his lead and, and you'll you'll see what you need to do to, to help him. So that was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Colbert, they need to make him like ship's counselor as well. Is, I don't know. I mean, like Tilly basically asked, like, set up an appointment with him later in the episode. Yeah. But he also but he also puts Band-Aids on people, space Band-Aids. So. <laughs> So, I mean, so he's that he's was he's kind of McCoy's role. McCoy was kind of doing both, really. Uh, I mean, that's true, but I do like the actually I like the idea of behind Troy's position, uh, and that you would not have to put band aids on people because being a counselor should be a a full time job, um, especially like in such a tight knit, high stakes, expensive you know group you know with like a very you know prototypey starship mm. and all that. Um, so, so like, and it's not going to bother me if he's doing both. I I really wouldn't, but, uh, it's, and it would be weird to kind of transition him out of his field of, you know, medicine to, to, to a psychological field. But I, I I like the idea of doing, uh, of, since I felt like Troy in a lot of ways never kind of got all the better story, you know, many great storylines on next gen. It'd be interesting to see if they could pull it off with a new counselor. Doesn't have to be Colbert, but there's at least the opportunity because I think he's handling that counseling side. Well, I, I mean, I, I think what you're saying makes sense. I rationalize what I'm seeing is that the, it's a crew from the 23rd century when ships generally didn't have a dedicated counselor mm-hmm. and they're, and they're still awkward about until he's all like, well, I maybe need some counseling, but I'm not crazy. Honest. You know, there's all that awkwardness that right. you, that we have today and apparently is still a thing in the 23rd century. And so they skipped over the 24th century where every, you know, we could have the shrink on the bridge and everyone's ta- fine with talking to her. And then Starfleet has been on some really hard times. I, I think if Starfleet, making sure every ship gets a psychologist is probably not top of the agenda when you don't even have Starfleet Academy. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good the, – the, the fact that they're rebuilding it will make it 
pretty yeah. decently plausible for them to yeah have Colbert doing a little bit of extra stuff. So sure, yeah, I'm down with it. Yeah. It kind of they skipped the psychology, the, the dedicated psychologist era of the Federation. So. Right, and Colbert's like, I took a course. <laughs> I love the idea of Grudge doesn't like holograms, and it makes sense because like, the way that he explains it is. Uh, because she can't smell you, so she doesn't trust what yep. you know what she's seen. It's like, oh yeah, that sounds like how like animals would react. Like dogs and cats would be freaked out by uh, by. It was holograms. a nice. It was a nice little touch. Now, yeah. does Grudge go on this dangerous mission with them? Because Book says, "Let me get you secured," and he walks to the back of the ship. So I was like, did he just like put the cat in like the closet in the back of the ship, or did he actually like secure you the know, cat off? They the mentioned ship? this in they mentioned this in a previous episode. Uh, I forget what was going on, but yeah, he had to go do something dangerous in the ship, and he's like, she's secured, or she's like in a stasis. Yeah, he like thing put her in like a little safety cabinet i mean i think it's one of those that uh, realistically it's like it feels like um uh, if, if he cared about that animal that he's being irresponsible and uh but uh, for show reasons that it's uh, you know uh cool to have a cat roaming around on your bridge i'm gonna i'm gonna kind of look the other way on this one and not but worry about it too they've, much. they've also like taken the cat off of the ship like when they had tilly cat sitting Right, yeah. I think again when it's convenient or when there's <laughs> okay. a when there's a fun scene to be had out of it. But yeah. you know they're not going to want to every time he goes off on a mission, which is going to be a lot, uh, to be like, hang on, I got to go take Grudge off again. They're, I think it'll be just more fun, more expedient for them to have a established protocol that Grudge can be pretty safe on the ship. Yeah, I I guess I just I assumed that I, I didn't I missed the line. I just assumed that Grudge was back on Discovery and that they don't need to tell us that every time. Uh, it could just be something that's inferred by whenever I do something insanely dangerous and I have the <laughs> opportunity to drop the cat off on Discovery, I will do so. And that could just that. be a standard protocol. He's, but, he's so. secretly, we're going to find out, he's secretly hoping for Grudge to die so he can collect the insurance money, just like he did on <laughs> on his uh, uh, nephew and, and his brother and the, and the whole planet. <laughs> he's no, making it, out big. That's, that's why he's mad because the insurance company was based on the planet and they got destroyed also. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that makes yeah. complete sense to me. See, he's <laughs> called Book, but his full name is Cook the Books. Mm. So. <laughs> this is when we get into like the heart of the episode for me, which was was again kind of uh, out of character for the discovery that we've known for the last three seasons. It's kind of a slower talkier thing but the real meat of this one is two dudes uh sitting side by side in a spaceship going on a little mission together yep. and just talking to each other but you know initially book is very standoffish he says uh i'll fly you scan but uh and you know we have the awkwardness of stamets trying to figure out you know and, and again it's funny that stamets is in the situation whereas like someone like colber or probably even someone like Tilly, who is like a little bit more sensitive and empathic, would mm -hmm. probably be good at this. But Samets is, you know, he's kind of known for being like he's kind of an asshole sometimes. <laughs> so it's like, oh yeah, like I'm, I'm kind of not good at being nice to people on a normal day, on normal circumstances. Like, how the hell am I supposed to be comforting to with with this extraordinary yeah. circumstances going on? And doesn't doesn't Colbert say something like, "Hey, you're better than you think." It's a nice, yeah. sweet thing to say to your partner. But uh, but yeah, like absolutely, Stamets is a handful sometimes. He's already butted heads, I guess, with what uh, I can't say her name, the engineer lady, uh, Jet Reno, Tignataro. Who, who we yeah, will see more of 
later in the season. She wasn't able to make it to cool. Toronto when they first started shooting early mm. last year. So don't expect to see her in like the next couple episodes. But uh, eventually, like she she didn't go well, up there until May. So she was there for like the whole second half of the season. She, she's least. in the same stasis booth uh, booth as Grudge. Mm. You know, oh oh no, the ship's gonna get in danger. Put the cool engineer in the stasis booth. <laughs> Our uh, in, in the comments, uh, Mike uh, Stepniak says uh, that their their pairing is the closest Disco has gotten to a stuck in the shuttle together episode yeah uh which uh there, there is some truth to that well i'll take this over shuttle pod one any day which i thought was like terrible <laughs> and derivative back when it came out in 2001 so this was a uh, much better and an improvement what's shuttle pod one that was the enterprise episode with malcolm and uh, trip stuck in a ship word. together it was stuff that we'd seen like a hundred times in star trek before <laughs> at that point but if you watch the show in chronological order then it's not so egregious <laughs> Well, uh, they they do eventually venture out into the anomaly, and Book struggles mentally uh, because he keeps seeing the flashes of Quajon, his nephew, his brother. And Discovery, meanwhile, is being bombarded with gravitational waves that are banging the crew around. Uh, Dira and Tilly go into their little science lab, and they're studying the waves. And it turns out that the the Discovery is going to have to cut the tether and back off from the anomaly so that Book and Hollow Stamets can stay in there long enough to get all the data they need. So th- this is where, like, the, the haunting imagery of, like, those birds, I think, is, like, really impactful. When he sees it outside the the windshield of his ship uh he, he's seen all the the weird debris and planet particles i guess you know oh that used to be part of my hometown floating by over there but he's seen like the mm-hmm. the bird stuff and then like when he's seeing like his nephew like running around on the ship and stuff that was like freaky to me that was like uh oh yeah like you're really like unwell if you're if you're having this experience occasionally i thought that he was being a little irresponsible uh to have forced him well and of course he will later say he wasn't yes. ready yes so he admits to we'll, it. We'll, we'll get around to that but yes he he was not <laughs> i i guess the anomaly is moving at fast warp speed so all these ships must also be moving at warp speed as they maneuver around and and follow the anomaly and fly into the anomaly like i guess yeah i guess so with. okay that's kind of how I ended up concluding this must be going down. But I assume that it's a little bit like, well, we're on Earth and Earth is moving fast, but we can drive at like 40 miles an hour in a city or whatever. And, and you know, you essentially you within in the there's like a micro scale where uh, you have your own little sort of small maneuvers that are more like impulse maneuvering yeah. in Star Trek terms. Yeah. So so you're not just wildly overshooting everything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this is uh, this is when they suddenly get into what I think of as TOS territory, the the full on bridge chaos, fire and explosions. Uh, but now with uh, added, uh, I don't know, parkour flippy flips. Well, the, the <laughs> actors all being suspended like that on on this familiar set that I don't know. I don't know how they added like the. Um... Just the, just the the technical aspect, like pulling this off, like they added like suspension rigs into the set that they've been using for years now. But you know, it's one of those like real cinematic things. It's like you typically don't see this in TV shows. Like the only other time we really see zero gravity in Star Trek is either in the movies or in something that's animated. <laughs> like they they don't do this in like the live action shows until until now. I mean, they there's a DS9 episode and a Enterprise episode I can think of that both messed around a little bit with zero gravity. 
Yeah, that's true. But it, it's still pretty rare. Um, and neither yeah. neither one was like on the scale where you have like a whole bridge full they had of people. A very flashy effect of what what looked like solidly realistic looking anti anti gravity or you know slightly yeah. flung into the air uh, yeah. effect. They, they did a good job making it dangerous. Like t- yeah. Tilly gets her chin beat up. O- Obo is like a mouthful of blood at one point. It's like it's really yeah. banging yeah. them around. If only they had invented seatbelts. <laughs> well, I was just about to say, I know somewhere out there somebody is going to say that, and I'm like, you gotta let Star Trek throw people around the bridge. You just you just can't be a stickler about it. The first time it happens is kind of okay, but like the second and the third, you're kind of like, dude, you really need those seatbelts. What, what I thought was no, weird was is fun. The, the flames that shoot out of the wall. Like They have like propane and, tanks built into the set now that just like shoot out bursts of flames. And they're shooting out of the same spot on those on each pylon. They're, they're not just random things blowing <laughs> up. There is apparently an emergency flame nozzle that sprays emergency flame onto the bridge. Old, uh, old tropes for Star Trek... Uh, uh, had everybody like fly, flying out of their chairs to the side. This is just their new trope. <laughs> yeah. It was yeah. a little much. I'm, I'm okay with the sparks and I'm okay with like the rocks that explode out of the consoles and the walls. But the, <laughs> the, the flame shooting out is a little much. Like that's where they took it. A it's it's Kelvin style. It's extreme. It's do the do. Um, <laughs> but it's also kind of the first time they tried that level of bridge chaos. Uh, they, they may have learned from that and fear a little bit of fan feedback. Like, whoa, guys, ease it no, back no. just a little. They did have the flame effect last episode i noticed it there i did um, i didn't notice the ship was all getting hit by everything and the shields were failing they had some of the flame and i liked it there because i didn't notice that the nozzles were in the exact same spot well the adira and tilly thing in the science lab that is next to the bridge that used to be Lorca's ready room in season one and then they made it a lab in season two which I but, love, by the way. Yeah, it's really cool in this episode where you could like run onto the bridge and like tell the captain something, and then run back to the lab and do more research. Uh, I, I thought this was like a really cool use of it, and th- more character stuff here with with Adira uh, getting snippy with Tilly, and then Tilly had to like put them in in their place. I loved how Tilly, uh, yeah, uh, kind of checked them on that um, uh, because Adira's like. Uh, hey, I'm smart. I did. Yeah, I did this, this right before. the first you don't time. Have to question it. And then Tilly goes all Starfleet and says, uh, "We've all done this before." He's like, "But in like basically in Starfleet, we double and triple check our work." Tilly got all like Scotty or <laughs> or Jordy uh, on on them. I don't think anyone in the Kelvin universe triple checks their work. But, well, <laughs> but this isn't the Kelvin universe, so I was fine with it here. And but. and Doctor Colber, you you know was giving Tilly some advice when Tilly was like, Oh my God, I was, I'm, I'm Stamets scene. I'm going full blown Stamets. I like, I like that Stamets scene as a verb that they use. Yeah. Again, you know, as, as all the, all the strong stuff in this episode, it's all, you know, the character centric stuff, you know, like a Stamets scene. Like I understand what that is. I, if someone in the original series was like, Oh, like I'm Suluing. I would be like, what is that? Are you running around with a sword? Like, what does that, what does that even mean? Like, like it was, it's funny. I actually did not notice her use that term, but that's funny. <laughs> you know, but I guess you couldn't do it with like um with Bryce or Reese because like they're not they're not very fleshed out, but they they are getting more to do, and we see Bryce do something in a moment. But hey, yeah, Bryce gets to hang ten, baby. <laughs> uh, but yeah, es- like essentially like Adira and Tilly, like they figure out a way to predict the waves, and they're coming like really random intervals, like you know, like two minutes and thirty four seconds, another one like forty seconds after that, and another one like you know four minutes after that. So it's like super random, but they're able. They're able to forecast it on the Discovery, but not on Book's ship. Right. Yeah, they have to do the number crunching and stuff on Disco. 
it's kind of techno babbly, but but that's okay. I don't I don't I don't particularly mind that style of techno babble. It essentially motivates dramatic things. Yeah, and they try to do like a cool visualization in a dramatic moment later with that. But I guess the the important thing here is that Birdom has to decide. Uh, you know, do I cut the tether? Do I trust Book to to complete the mission? Because they, they, they establish the urgency of this. You know, the, the, it's going to be weeks before they can try this again. Um, the, the anomaly could, you know, go destroy more planets before then. So they really need to get this data now if they can. Can right. she trust him? And she decides, yes, I'm going to cut the tether and, and let him try to do this. Right. The tether being, you know, like a very sort of metaphorical thing for both the, you know, physical action of the of the interaction between these ships, but also the the way she's feeling about book, whether she can trust this person who's um, <laughs> arguably for his own thing was not ready. But she she had enough faith in the person that he was that I think that he could pull it off, even maybe perhaps not being fully ready. Uh, and she was right. So. Uh, so yeah, she had to stop being a helicopter parent. What happens next? So the uh, disco crew figured out that uh, has figured out that Book has to ride one of the waves out of the anomaly. Burnham's able to coach Book through uh, through it and get him in the data back to safety. Pretty straightforward. Yeah, they had to do two attempts. You know, Book messed up the first time, and then they're only they're only gonna get one more shot at it. I thought all that stuff was kind of structured well. The 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 science here gets a little loosey goosey. Like she's got to like all feel the waves on her hand and then tell him, you know, when, when to hit the gas basically and go, but yeah. it, it, the way that you see it, you know, if you describe this to me on paper, I'd be like, that sounds dumb, but you know, seeing it play out, it, it I, I thought it, it, it looks cool. Yeah. yeah. It's sort of, I feel like, you know, I'm sure that like fighter pilots and stuff have stuff, some things that's like the swell of like an air current is, you know, like the precise right time when to do some action or another. And they understand it and they know how to do it. And it's hard to explain that or visualize that uh, in, a, in a, in a cinematic way. And so I think, you know, something like that, an instinctive thing that you get from the literal physical, you know, interaction with the environment uh, is, uh, was showcased in that scene. Uh, yeah, again, I, I don't know how, you know, uh, it, it's it's a little goofy maybe, but but I thought it was pretty cool. I felt tense. Yeah, it was at least a good example of why this morphing control board would actually be useful. Because mm. most of the time I'm kind of like, I mean, you'd probably, you may change it to be your buttons instead of someone else's buttons, but then it'd be pretty much set unless you wanted to bring up a different set of buttons. It wouldn't be all like flexing around and stuff. Uh, so this would be a case where the flexy around stuff actually made some sort of sense. Didn't they, they, they do a, they, they surf a subspace wave in that next generation episode, Force of Nature? The one where the subspace warp drive is damaging the environment, the Enterprise gets stuck in some sort of weird thing, and Jordy has to rig up the warp drive to act like a surfboard and surf mm. out, surf the ship out of the anomaly. I really liked Adira and Tilly's explanation of that, by the way, when, like, Adira does, like, the little, like, whistle sound effect with, like, gesturing, like, the hands, the show, like, the <laughs> wave, I don't know. I just thought that was... Uh, the stuff that, like, if actors tried to do that in, like, Berman-era Trek, like... Like they would have gotten yelled at. Like everything had to be like super serious <laughs> and straightforward, and you know you don't you don't ad lib anything. And uh. I would like for them for some fan edit to, by the way, o overdub the Pulp Fiction surf music the instant the wave catches them. Yeah, is that what uh what Bryce yeah. was jamming out to on a? Uh, I'm on sure it had to be. Man I love Tilly. 
earlier on when she's right after at the end of her conversation with Saru near the beginning of the episode, Tilly says, I don't know, she says something, but she says it in this really goofy voice. And well, that's at the end. That's with, that's with Colbert. Oh. Oh, okay. It's just kind oh, of right, moment. right. Yeah, that's right. I love that line, <laughs> that little moment where, again, it's just not something you see in Star Trek is people doing funny voices right. yeah. like it that. It feels like the actors getting to be more human. Maybe yeah. they ad-libbed it. Maybe not. I don't I'm know. I'm pretty but sure they felt, did because of it was kind of It was kind of fun. I, I liked it, too. Yeah. I, I did question... So they can transfer data back and forth enough that, that Stamets can have this whole interactive hologram, but they can't send any of the data back to Discovery? <laughs> yeah, it's like they only have a b enough bandwidth for one or the other. I, I, You're asking too many questions, Brian. Pipe down. <laughs> Maybe tune down, maybe go into the video game settings and tune down the resolution so that you have more <laughs> bandwidth to send the other data. So, like, Stamets is looking at everything and it's all blocky and low res. But, but, but I also, think, I also think Stamets did, like, didn't want to didn't want to, like, leave Book early because, you know, he's he's seen firsthand. Like, this guy is uh, yeah. he, he tells Burnham, he's like, yeah, he's going to need, like, some more help if you want him to, like, catch one of these waves. So it's probably for the best that, like, Stamets, you know, stayed there by his side and even like they 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 highlight books as isolation largely self-inflicted isolation you know we see when he won't open up to michael but here you know where he's he's losing it he's he's seeing all this weird stuff that's not real um but he he's like i'm all alone like you're not even here with me he says the stamets and you know you're mm -hmm. just a hologram I'm, I'm literally like a man floating around in the ship by myself probably about to die and and stamets has to like reassure him like no 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 like like you're not alone like we're here to help you and uh, I like I like that stuff. And then when he kind of opens I up to too. him and says like um how how thankful he was for what book did, how that hurt him, it made him feel so useless when he couldn't save his family, but uh, but someone else did it and and Stamets has promised, you know, I'm going to figure this out. We're going to stop this anomaly. I promise you. And I want to see them continue that. And I want to see that there be more of this relationship between Stamets and book going forward. Yeah, I agree. Although I kind of liked it when they were fighting too, so yeah. But you know, there's there's an arc within this episode. You know, they don't get along at first, and by the end they do. Yep. It is like that old TV trope. You know, two people locked in the freezer overnight. Sure, and They sure. don't get along, but they talk to each other. Well, I just hope that in the future, that although they may uh, have a closer bond, uh, that uh, Stamets uh, does occasionally revert to his asshole self. <laughs> I'm sure he will. They've they've done a good job maintaining that balance. I think in most of the shows. Uh, three existing seasons i guess the other the other notable thing here is when burnham has to like basically like take the phone off of speaker and and to, to talk to uh talk to book one-on-one -on -one. this is when saru tells her you know like this is where you need to be the partner and not the captain i'm like saru like why do you have relationship advice like how many relationships have you been in like but i mean he does give good advice so you know you can't deny the results um mm -hmm. But yeah, the, this is where Book kind of first starts to confess to Michael, and he says, you know, his problems that like he keeps replaying the stuff he he because he has regret and he feels like he should have known, you know, as an empath, he should have felt something with the birds. He should have known it was a a, a weirder thing. He should took his family up in his ship with him. Um, and so he's, he's blaming himself, and it echoes, you know, Michael at the beginning of the episode. She's still upset about the three people who died in the shuttle bay last week. And, and, and she's had to, you know, process that and be like, um, 
you know, like it's it's something that you have to forgive yourself for. You're, you're not to blame for that. Um, so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how much of this is like season long thematics uh, or, you know, whether that will continue to to, to be a thing. Uh, definitely something to keep an eye on. I, I, I think it's a good I think I think they're handling it well, pretty, pretty well so far. And because it is Star Trek Discovery that when they do get book out of the anomaly and Saru tells uh, Bryce, oh, you know, uh, I, I hope we all have such good life saving ha- or hobbies or whatever he tells <laughs> Bryce. But the whole bridge like claps for Bryce. Like that was a good idea, Bryce. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, yeah, so like that discovery thing where everybody has to clap. But <laughs> I, I, I think it's very much just an acknowledged thing among the crew that we clap for a lo- a lots of yeah. people for lots of things. They need to do one where it's a joke, where like <laughs> Captain tries to throw Tilly a surprise party and she and and my and and she drops the cake and then everyone claps. You know, just to kind of <laughs> make fun of oh. it a bit. They need to, you know, kind of uh, you know hang a lantern on it and say they're very aware of how artificial the clapping. But is. I do, I don't. This isn't as mean as it sounds. But I I, I often describe discussion is like it's like the touchy feely show where you know people everyone cries everyone claps like they'll like run up and hug each other because they, they're able to tractor beam a ship out of orbit or just you know, something like that uh, but like these celebratory moments i think a lot of this is like the people who really love the show like they really plug into this stuff like they they like seeing everyone being like so supportive of each other i i usually do too it honestly feels less like of Discovery's era and more of like you know a next generation or or further one, uh, the that level of sort of support and dropping the sort of quasi military formal facade uh, to just be like friends who are like oh hell man you just yeah yeah you just like you you scored it's, it's a future I think a lot of contemporary audience members want to see. Yeah. Well, it's like, what if you did not have to have your humanity drained out of you with, you know, like to to serve in the military? What if you could be allowed to enthuse and, you know, and, and, you know, in that kind of thing? And and because Tilly got that advice from Colbert, she high fives Adira to, you know, congratulate Adira. And like it made Adira's day, too, because now Adira's like, oh, uh, Lieutenant Tilly likes me and thinks I'm smart and useful. So I feel good. I saw in the comments they've been talking about, like, whether Book would have had t- any time at all after the birds to get um, uh, to, to potentially rescue his uh, his brother and the kid. And and I think that I think that realistically, it doesn't seem like he did. Uh, and that's, you know, it's just the way that he's his grief isn't. He's not being rational about it. He, I think he's being irrational. Yeah. But I think also he probably is wondering if his emp- empathy could have picked it up before the birds, too. Yeah. And I think if you want to be technical about it, he actually did have plenty of time because all he had to say is like, computer, beam up Leto and Akeem and they'd be on the ship. Well, with I mean, so. A, just because you see a bunch of birds falling out of the sky doesn't immediately say, oh, I've got to immediately evacuate anybody I care about from this planet that yeah. I happen to be flying yeah, no, on. It's, it's ridiculous it... to blame yourself, but I could see him, you know, yeah. being in that situation. Well, yeah, yeah, especially with the nature of his abilities, his connection to the world. Uh, I mean, aside, any, yes, anybody might be irrational about their grief. People do it all the time. But I think his specific, uh, his alien qualities might be why it's overwhelming him that much. Uh, but for now, he's he's made a friend with Colbert. They they bond over arm tingles that you feel on the spore drive. Or you said Colbert, you mean I'm, Stamets. I mean Stamets. Uh, but speaking of Colbert, I do like that when Stamets disconnects the neural link and is... Finally, like, 
just unplugs himself from the stressful situation. Like he like yeah. he needs a hug from yeah. from his partner just like immediately. Like, I would races. think he would. That was he was just in a very tense situation. Yeah, but this is like the good stuff. Like this is like yeah, like you call it like the touchy feely Star Trek, Star Trek Discovery. But I like it. I like I like the stuff. You know the stuff that as an '80s kid who uh, you know was like trying to sometimes critiquing next generation for being a little too touchy feely. Uh, you know, I would later go back and look at it and be like, wait, don't I want people, you know, like, isn't this what we're talking about now that toxic masculinity should be kind of like, you know, removed in favor of a, uh, more open masculinity, you know, and that, that you should, you, you could hug somebody, uh, after a, and have a cathartic moment and not feel that you're in some way, I, I don't know, um, showing weakness so uh <laughs> i mean i think we have to give points to roddenberry i mean we these days it's kind of fashionable to point out all the screw-ups roddenberry made but that was something he insisted on being part of the next generation was this yeah uh, oh, yes. this this idea that people were much more open uh about and had more emotional intelligence yeah i think that's the yeah topic. or emotional yeah, maturity yeah yeah definitely yeah. um for sure brian do you want to tell us uh how the episode ends Okay, the episode ends with Tilly telling Dr. Culber she needs some help coping with recent events. Adira and Gray being cute and happy together, and Book finally opening up to Burnham. Oh, and the realization that the data Book risked his life to collect is utterly useless when it comes to predicting the course of the deadly anomaly. It can change course at random. Nowhere is safe. Bum, bum, bum. Uh, then we got the scary music yeah. at the end with the yeah. big black hole thing. <laughs> I did think, I was like, Tilly's really confident for a bunch of data that she admits she really hasn't looked at yet. Yeah, and the, and the music is all dun 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 dun. Yeah, it, yeah. It's like like super overtly um like it was like it was uh, like it was as like ominous TOS as possible. style. Yeah, yeah like, I like the that. it was like Doomsday yeah, Machine. It was melodramatic. I like in a good way, yeah, in a good way. But People I, use that as a criticism. Yeah, I like it. I agree. And I and I think but I, I do think probably the best way to take it we'll know next week, uh, but the best way to take it would be that's a metaphor for the the threat level that this thing possesses. Having also we you know, we now learned that they cannot predict its movements and uh, and all that yeah. stuff. And I, I like that. It does make me a little nervous though. It does make me a little bit like, Oh, I don't want this to be like driven by some nefarious purpose. I'd rather it be like um more of a more of a force of nature type thing. Uh and, and just this story being about how all these different people have to have to deal with it, how they work together, how they're unable to work together, things like that to yeah. me is going to be more interesting. So I'm, I'm really hoping that's where we go. Yeah. I hope it's not, uh, the, the, the remnants, uh, the, the residual magnetic, uh, I image of, uh, Soren piloting the Nexus or anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, the Tilly and Colber moment, uh, that, that's where you were mentioning Brian, how Tilly was talking like a silly voice when, when she's like, I'm gonna go dig yeah, into that so, data and and that was it. Yeah. I think I think they were ad libbing because then Wilson Cruz says to her, uh, okay, go save the world. And she's like, Oh, I, I will. But I think like if they were writing the script, they would have had the character be like, Okay, go save the galaxy or something else. Um, I think just yeah. Wilson Cruz is on set saying like go save the world because that's more of like a modern day person would say. So I think that might have just been the actor ad lib, but who knows? I guess yeah. well we could probably ask one of them at some point. All Treks though, even you know, even if it's in the far flung future, cannot help but reflect modern day tropes and and, and stuff. So you know, <laughs> the Adira and Gray moment. Um, not really much to say about that other than. 
They seem happy. The the book and Burnham thing, that was like the big one for me. When when Book finally does, no pun intended, but like he lowers his shields. He lets Burnham in. He confesses, you know, yeah, I'm I'm not in a good state of mind. I'm seeing weird shit. Uh, I uh, shouldn't have been out on that m- mission that was incredibly, you know, irresponsible and dangerous. And he finally, like, allows himself to, like, cry and, like, l- show his vulnerability in front of her. And she's there to comfort him. I thought all of that was very beautiful. I sort of wish that that was the last scene because it was sad and I like a sad ending. Uh, I think I would have preferred a, a sad ending over a dun-dun-dun ending. But yeah. I didn't I didn't mind the dun-dun-dun ending. Yeah. Um, I don't think you could have done I, I, I thought that was... the dun-dun-dun ending and then cut back to... That would have, <laughs> no, that would have felt awkward. Do, you'd have to re- do a little rearranging. But yeah. I did. But to, essentially, I agree with you, Father. Uh, excellent scene. Another David Ajala killed it scene. Um He's uh, he he's he's uh, reminding me what an ad- that he can be such a huge asset to this show. Well, yeah. uh, either of you have any thoughts on this ending or any final thoughts on the episode at all? Because I think I've said my piece about everything. Just the observation my wife made that Stamets turned into Rimmer from Red Dwarf. It was this snarky hologram with no social skills. And I was like, oh my goodness, he is. He's absolutely Rimmer. <laughs> I'm 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 a little worried about the anomaly as a plot point because that's the kind of thing that often will end up being a bit of a sticking point for me with discovery is their their meta plot stuff. But you know I'm it's I'm not too worried right now. Uh, they they've got time to to show me what they're doing with it. And uh, right now all I can do is you know compliment what I thought was really an excellent episode. Yeah. And if they if they keep handling it the way they handle it in this episode, I will I'll be thrilled. I'll be over the moon. I'm only worried because of yeah they've they've burnt me in the past and I'm gonna stay worried. There's a tradition all the way to the very you know season three I was really digging the second to last episode and then the finale let me down hard so I'm I'm not gonna yeah. be able to, I'm not gonna be able to breathe a, a, a sigh of until relief we get to that finale till the <laughs> season finale but uh, you know I I hope for the best so and and if I end up not liking it oh well it'll be February and Picard season two will be going and then Strange New Worlds in the spring so there's plenty of there's plenty of Trek to enjoy. So I'm not too worried about it. But yeah, I, I, I would love for them to do it right. All right, Father, you, uh, you want to hit us with some uh, some Gorn eggs? Sure. So these are all of the Easter eggs, in-jokes, and continuity connections I found in this episode that I thought were worth mentioning. The first one is that when Saru reunites with Burnham near the beginning of the episode... Burnham mentions that he's been offered the command of the USS Sojourner. Just wanted to point that out, that that's a new Starfleet ship that we have a name for. That's a old word that means traveler, uh, I, I believe. Yeah, a sojourn is like a, a journey or a voyage or something yeah. like that. See, also, uh, by the way, it could also, it could be named, well, there was a, there's a famous, I think, abolitionist named Sojourner, Sojourner Truth. Truth. Well, that wasn't her real name. She, like, made that up to be her, be her name, but... Right. Well, whatever the case, it's a, a fantastic yeah. name. No, no, I'm saying like <laughs> she, I don't know. she chose that because that means like I'm like the truth traveler. Like I'll I'll go right, around right. and tell you the truth. Yep. It would actually be interesting if the ship was named as much or for her as it was the idea of a journey. But uh, but yeah. Well, in sick bay, when they are discussing the new body for Gray, Colbert says they're using the Sung method, uh, and that's named after the cyberneticist Alton Inigo Sung. Uh, also played by Brent Spiner because he plays all the Soongs. 
uh, in Star Trek. But yeah, the son of uh, the original, well, I guess not the original, but Noonien Soong. And the uh, the golem body that they're talking about is what we saw in Star Trek Picard season one. Uh, on the holodeck program, we see the cliffs of of Serac and Lake Uron. Or Ur- yeah, I, I think that's how you say it. Um, but that was a, uh, I mean, obviously Serac, the, the, the father of Vulcan philosophy, but Lake Euron was mentioned by Tom Paris to Tuvok in the Voyager episode, The Disease. That's the one where Harry Kilm is uh, uh, having relations with that alien woman that's causing, uh, causing problems. But uh, Paris was just talking about how like, oh yeah, their environmental controls are really cool. You can make your quarters feel like uh, Lake, Lake Euron on a spring day back on Vulcan or you know, something like that. Um, Tuvok is like, that's dumb. I don't need that in my quarters. I just need a desk and a bed uh, or something like that. <laughs> and so we actually get to see that in cor- in somebody's quarters. Yeah, yeah so that is kind of <laughs> <That's> cool. nice. <laughs> as far as like riding the waves, Bryce mentions that's how they would uh, kite surf back on Monarch 4. Uh, Monarch 4 was a planet mentioned in the original series episode, The Empath. Uh, that's when Spock says to McCoy, uh, yeah, this, this woman we see laying here in this black warehouse because it's season three and we have no budget but she looks harmless but so do the sand bats of monarch four until you get too close they look like rock crystals but then they they strike you when you get close uh, it's a very boring episode i love the original series but this is one of the this is one of the <laughs> unimpressive season three episodes that is a deep cut reference those are all the gorn eggs i do have some subspace transmissions i can knock out real fast but we did ask people to tell us how they felt about last week's episode Kobayashi Maru. Um, we had some replies on Twitter. Michael Stepniak says, The best disco since season one. Listening to the podcast as I clean my apartment. Near the 137 mark, you discussed the crew's acceptance of Adira and Gray's invisible relationship and the show's unique politics of vulnerability and emotion. And I'm just like, right on, nailed it. Michael, I want to know what you thought about that type of stuff in this episode because I think we get another, another dose of it. Triangulum Audio Studios said i thought it was great conveying hope while simultaneously drawing me into the thrill of trek the spandex scientist said i liked it way more than all the other discovery season premieres feels like the show is getting the voice it needed i was not a fan of the disaster that was at the end didn't need that to be that intense but i am hooked and i want to see what's next jude beacom said Frozen methane pulled in from a system's Oort cloud. Gravitational lensing depicted the way modern telescopes see it. Matching speed and rotation to achieve a synchronous orbit. Did Disco hire some new science consultants this year? Because that technobabble was delightful. Jude, I think they're using, um, I believe her name is Erin McDonald uh, on, on Discovery. And uh, Mohamed Noir. Uh, I, I, they've been the science consultants, but they're they're really big Star Trek fans, and I I think they're uh, they're giving good notes that the writers seem to be paying attention to. So you know, good for them. Probably more of a case of the writers paying attention yeah. to the science advisors rather than a change in the science advisors. Agreed. <laughs> That's usually usually how it goes. Uh, Malcolm Wood said, "My friend thought it was good." Loved the Archer theme. However, expecting the president to say two words, my child. Like, I, I, I can <laughs> see some of the distaste for President Relic, but I don't think she's gone into full-blown Kai Wen territory just yet. So, cut <laughs> her some slack, y'all. She's getting a lot of hate. <laughs> then on YouTube, RBA1225, are you like a robot or something? That's a interesting <laughs> username, but it sounds like a Star Wars droid. 
<laughs> but uh, RBA1225 says, I just thought, what if Saru ends up as captain of Voyager J? Yeah, I think I mentioned that last week, but I mean, they do need a captain for the Voyager J. Uh, Saru is like, oh yeah, like I'm being offered captaincies and turning them down for now. But if they do that, though, if they put Saru in the captain's chair of a different ship, they're going to have the same problem again next year. Like, how do we get Saru back on Discovery for season five? <laughs> so I don't I don't know. Yeah, you, you start off by blowing up his ship and having yeah, I, uh, you, Michael save him. You could him. do that. That, that would be an option. It kind of makes him look like an inferior captain if he immediately gets the ship blown up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it'd be it'd be it'd be hard to to do that right. You'd have to have like whoever blows them up be like a very respectable force to reckon with. Uh, and maybe we'll throw in a line about it being salvageable, a la Defiant from First Contact. Uh, the last one we got a uh, comment on YouTube from Red Ketchum said, The guy from the station in distress, Nalus, reminded me of Veer from Babylon 5, Lando's assistant. Yeah, if you've seen Babylon 5, you know who we're talking about. But I had, I had to reply that Veer was much cooler than Commander yeah. Nalus. I think we can all agree on that. Yeah, great I, character. I, yeah, I think they were kind of maybe thinking Veer, but they did not cast uh, anyone who, with his skills. <laughs> well, uh, that's going to be it for this week. And I also want to remind everyone that I just recently was a guest on the Trek Untold podcast, along with some other Star Trek podcasters like uh, Julian from Strange New Pod and also the Duras Sisters from the Duras Sister podcast. Uh, just talking about what it's like making Star Trek podcast content. A really fun roundtable discussion. I recommend people go check that out and check out those other content creators. They're great. That was the Trek Untold podcast. And uh, that's going to be the end of our show. We'll be back next week live on YouTube, 7 p.m. Central, Friday night, to discuss next week's Discovery episode, Choose to Live. And as always, these podcasts are available either late Sunday night or early Monday morning to listen to, wherever you get your podcast. And uh, until next time, as always, live long and prosper, y'all. Listen to the Text Trek podcast through Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or at text-trek.com. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash text-trek. And follow Fathery on Twitter at txtrek. Please support us by liking our videos and subscribing to our channel on YouTube. Thank you and take care.